It's wonderful to be with you, to, to worship with you, and open God's Word with you. I bring you greetings of peace and love from Grace Presbyterian Church in Lexington and from Reform University Fellowship. Uh, I want to thank you for your partnership with us in the gospel, for your prayers and your support for our ministry of college students. Uh, it means a lot, and it's a joy to get to be with you this morning. Uh, if you have your Bibles, if you'd please open them to Matthew chapter 5, looking at verses 13 through 16. If you don't have your Bible, it's, it's printed in your order of worship. This is the famous salt and light passage from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Jesus has begun his ministry uh, only recently. He's gathered his disciples, and as he's traveled and taught, already crowds are starting to form and to follow him. And so he goes up onto a mountain, he sits down, and he, and he begins to teach. Right before this are, are the, the famous Beatitudes, the blessings of Jesus. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Jesus is opening up his sermon to his followers, talking about the good life. That desire that we all have for satisfaction and peace and joy and relationship. And he says, it's found in me. It's found in a life of blessing, of walking with me and following me. And it's right after that that he teaches on salt and light. So if you'd please read along with me from Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16. Our Lord Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father, who is in heaven. This is God's word. It's absolutely true. And it's given to us because he loves us. Would you pray with me, please? Father, we're thankful for the opportunity to worship you. We're thankful to be together. Lord, we know that all over the earth, people are gathering in your name to praise you, to pray to you, to sing to you, to read your word, and we are grateful to be members of your church across the world. I pray, Lord, that in this time, through your word and your spirit, you would soften our hearts so that we might love you more and love our neighbors ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you have a bucket list of places you'd like to travel, but one of the places I'd like to go visit someday is Dubai. Dubai is this fascinating idea to me. This is the, the capital city of the United Arab Emirates. It's one of the most opulent and extravagant and affluent communities in the history of the world. This is a place that has become uh, very rich through the discovery of oil uh, and now become famous as a luxury travel destination for the elite people around the world. This is why I dream about it. I, I will probably not be included in that category of people in my life, but uh, it, it's, they have the best of everything. This is a place where they make their own islands. They have the best hotels in the world, the best restaurants in the world, the highest building in the world. Everything they have there is the best in the world, and uh, it has become the luxury sports car capital of the world. This is a city where the police drive around in Porsches and Ferraris, okay? Kind of like, like our life. But this weird thing is happening in Dubai. 
Each year for the past few years, thousands, about 3,000 luxury sports cars are abandoned in the parking lot at the Dubai International Airport. They're just left there. And what's happening is that uh, in Dubai, there's no, there's no bankruptcy protection. It's literally against the law to be in debt. And so if you get behind in your house payments or your car payments, you're put in prison. So what's happened is that people, during the boom of the economy, or just due to a foolish choice, take out these big loans to buy these cars that cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And then when they get behind in their payments to avoid going to prison, they just skip town. They drive to the airport, leave their car, and they just move away to avoid jail time. So you've got every single day, people are leaving Mercedes and BMWs and Ferraris and Lamborghinis and Rolls Royces. They're just leaving them in the parking lot. They just leave them there. A, a, a couple years ago, a uh, Ferrari Enzo was left. I don't know if you're into cars. I, I kind of geek out on cars. Uh, a, a Ferrari Enzo cost a million dollars, okay? cost a million dollars. This car is so beautiful. I mean, it's like a race car, only it's your car. 221 miles per hour top speed, 0 to 16 in 3.14 seconds from a 650 horsepower 12-cylinder engine. I mean, this car is the pinnacle of performance and style and beauty and power. And it got left sitting in a parking lot, abandoned. No one's going to zero sixty in that thing. No one's listening to the purr of that engine. It's just sitting there. As we look at Jesus' teaching to us on salt and light this morning, we're, we're given both an encouragement and a warning. And, and the encouragement is this. If you are in Christ, and I don't know if everyone in this room is a Christian this morning, but if you are in Christ... You have power. You have a tremendous amount of power. You've got 650 horsepower. You've got a V12. And the potential that you have to influence the world is immense. But if we are not careful, if we are idle, if we are distracted, our power can fade. We can turn the keys in. And we're as useless in the world as a car that's just abandoned in a parking lot. I want to talk this morning about the power and the risk of salt and the power and the risk of light. So first, the the power of the salt. Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. It's interesting that this, this passage has no command in it. Jesus is not telling us to be salt. He is not saying, work at being salty, grow up in your saltiness, cultivate your saltiness. He doesn't say that. He says, you are the salt of the earth. It's just a statement of fact. It's just something that is simply true about you if you are in Christ Jesus. Salt is this uh, kind of a, a genius image. I mean, it's so small. It's so insignificant seemingly, but it has these powers, these virtues, these characteristics that make it so valuable. You've you got to remember that in, in this day, before you know, the days of refrigeration, your, your ability to make your food last was the difference between life and death. To have food that would last through the winter or to have food that would last through drought or through the dry season, to be able to feed your family, is vital to success as, as a human being, as a person. And, and salt has this preservative power, doesn't it? It has this power to prevent rot and decay. And our Lord Jesus is saying that if you are a Christian, you have this same kind of power to prevent rot and decay, to prevent sinful and wicked attitudes and behaviors and habits from becoming the norm in your communities, 
in your family, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, on your sports team. You actually have the power to keep those things at bay, to keep things from taking over in our life. We, we have a tendency to think that uh, as Christians, you know, we know we live in a broken world, we know we're broken, and we're saved by Jesus, but there's nothing we can really do about the world. I mean, what power do we have to combat the darkness, to combat the brokenness, to combat the pain that we see around us? And Jesus says, you actually have immense power. You have power in how you talk about and how you treat women. You have power in how you talk about and how you treat minorities. You have power in how you talk about and how you treat your subordinates, the people that that work for you, or your employers, the people you work for. Because you live in the midst of a world, a community that doesn't know how to treat people, that delights in elevating themselves over everyone else. And the way that you talk and the way that you act actually has the power to keep those things at bay. It actually has the power to keep those things from taking over in the little corner of the world that God has called you to. Because if you're rooted in Christ, your identity is in Jesus. You know the power of the message of the gospel. You know that each person in the world is made in God's image and is endowed with dignity and beauty because of that. You know that each one of us is broken and needy because of sin and saved by the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And it empowers us to love. It empowers us to be salty. Salt has this preservative power. It also has a seasoning power, this ability to add zest to add flavor. In that same way, Christians have the power to add zest, to add flavor to your relationships. You do this when you uplift someone who's discouraged. You do this when when you sit with someone in the hospital, when you write a note to someone who's hurting. All the time, in tons of little ways, you have huge power in people's lives to bring that zest, to be salt to them. We have this power, but but Jesus gives us a warning too, doesn't he? He says salt can lose its saltiness, and when 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 it loses saltiness, it's not good for anything. Losing your saltiness, it's it's ceasing to be different. Ceasing to insist on representing Christ in what you say and what you do. It's becoming bland. Blending in with the world around you. One of, the, one of the places we can struggle with this is that we assume that to be a successful witness for Jesus, that we have to be attractive to the world on their terms. It's like saying, well, yes, I, you know, I've got this person in my life, and I really want to really share Jesus with them, but I've got to get in the door first. So I'm going to get in the door by laughing along with a crude joke about a coworker, or I'm going to get in the door by going out and drinking too much with them, or I'm going to get in the door by boasting about my wealth and my success, whatever you might be tempted to do. Like we want to say to the world, hey, I'm no different than you. You and me, we're the same. I just believe in this guy, Jesus. I'm just forgiven. And there may be a lot of truth in that. But I'm not really sure why we're so scared to tell the world that we're different. I'm not, sure, I'm not, I'm not so sure why we're scared to say, actually, there's something very different about me because Christ is in me. My faith is not just this thing, idea I have in my head that you don't believe in. It changes who I am because it gives me power. We have the power to preserve and to season the world, but it, 
that power really depends on our willingness to embrace being different because Christ is in us. We have the power <clears throat> of salt. We also have the power of light. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. And this has to do with what's inside us. Paul has this great passage in 2 Corinthians 4, 7, when he says, you have this treasure in jars of clay. Like we are these jars that contain treasure. And he, he defines this treasure as the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God that we have in us, emanating out from us, the glory of God in Jesus. And again, this is not something that you cultivate as a Christian. This is not something that you mature in with age. This is just true about you. If you believe in Jesus, the light of his glory is emanating out from you for the world to see. We've got to remember our context again here, because I think we have a hard time appreciating darkness because we got lights everywhere, don't we? We got night lights, and we got headlights, and we got street lights, and we got lights in our house, and we got cell phone lights, so you're trying to find something in the dark, you don't have a light, you just turn your phone on, right? It's hard to appreciate true darkness. It's hard to imagine how dark it would have been on a moonless, cloudy night in Galilee 2,000 years ago. I mean, we're talking absolute pitch, can't see your hand in front of you, darkness. And Jesus says it's into that kind of darkness that Christians shine with light, that we illuminate, that we allow people to see. He doesn't just say you're a little candle. He says you're like a city set on a hill. I mean, this, in this time, this is the most overwhelmingly bright thing that there could possibly be at nighttime, is a city of lights on a hill. You can imagine, if Jesus were here today, he might say something like, you're like the New Year's Eve fireworks in New York City. You're like that laser that can shine a spot on the moon. You're a source of such overwhelmingly bright illumination that you allow people to be able to see even when it is pitch black dark. And of course, Jesus is he's speaking figuratively here. He's talking about spiritual darkness. And one of the things that Christians have to do is to honestly reckon with the darkness of the world around us. That we live in a world that has rejected Jesus that has said, we don't need someone to tell us how to live. We want to live how we want to live. That's confused about right and wrong. That doesn't care about right and wrong. That refuses to even admit that there is a difference between right and wrong. Our world is so confused about this. It's so dark. And into that darkness, we shine. We shine like lights. This is where it's important to remember that it's not from us that the light is not something that we create because shining your light doesn't mean saying, hey, look at me. Look what I've got figured out. Come along and follow me. Our light is always pointing them to something else. It's always pointing them to the source of the light, which is, of course, the Lord Jesus, which is the message of his gospel of love. When Jesus calls us to, to be lights, it, it means exactly what you think it means. It means exactly what you're afraid it means that we actually have the power to be God's chosen vessels of his message. That in everything we do, with everything we say, we have the power to bear witness to the love of Jesus, the love that saves sinners. It means we don't have to just pray for opportunities to share the gospel. We actually are going to have them all the time. 
to bear witness to this truth, to help people see that there is something true and real and good and beautiful, and it comes from Jesus. Jesus gives us another warning here, and this one is no surprise because it's one that, of course, we all struggle with. He says, you are light, but lights can be hidden. A basket can be put over a light. We know about this, don't we? We got baskets of fear, baskets of busyness, baskets of selfishness, baskets of distraction. Put those over the light so that no one can see it. Because we're afraid, aren't we? We're afraid of awkward moments with people. We're afraid to offend people. We're afraid to harm relationships. We're afraid to look stupid. We're afraid to be embarrassed. I mean, we're, we're just afraid all the time. We know, and we experience this every day, right? With our families, with our friends, with our neighbors, our teammates, our coworkers, strangers in the checkout line or on an airplane. Every moment we struggle with this fear to put that basket over our light. And I just want to give you two exhortations here in light of this fear. Because Jesus knows that this is going to be scary for us, and that's why he speaks to it. One of the reasons the Sermon on the Mount is so challenging to read is although our God is a God of grace and everlasting love, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's, he's kind of in our face. He's very blunt. He's very abrupt. He's very direct. And he says just in these verses, two things to exhort us, okay? Uh, the, the first has to do with our usefulness. Not, not the affection that God has for us, but the, his ability to use us. The, the metaphors he gives are about worthlessness. How, how useful is salt that isn't salty? How much is a lamp going to help you see if it's covered up? We need to embrace the fact that we are endowed with power. And when we cover that up, when we deny that, when we let that fade, we're no use to anyone. That's a hard word, but it's true. Here's the second thing. Right before this, the immediate verse prior to this, this section, Jesus says this, Blessed are those, blessed are you when you're persecuted, when others revile you and speak all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. For your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who came before you. We're so afraid that people are going to be confused if we talk about Jesus. We're so afraid that people are going to be put off that they're going to think we're weird, guess what? They, they will. They will. You should expect it. You should anticipate it. And we strive to do the hard work of rejoicing in it. Because we trust that our experience in this moment is not the only thing that matters. That we have a trajectory that is eternal, that something matters more in this world than what someone else thinks about us to trust our rewards in heaven, that is able to say, I actually have solidarity with the Lord Jesus. How can I be conformed to him, the one who was completely rejected for his obedience to the Father, if I'm not willing to endure that myself? Now, I know this is easier said than done, but we strive to follow hard after Jesus. This is why we, this is why we are called to daily devotional time of prayer and study of God's word because we need the encouragement. We need the strength. We need the reminders of what's true. This is why we come to church and gather as a community where we can look around and say, I'm not in this fight by myself, but I am a part of a community that is trying 
to figure out how in the midst of our own brokenness and sinfulness to let this power emanate out from us. This is the fight that we fight. I want to encourage you to be mindful of this in two places. Two places in your life to be mindful about the power that you have and the risk you have of letting that power fade, of letting that saltiness fade, of putting a lamp underneath a basket. The, the first is this. We need to be mindful of how our power can fade within our own walls, within our churches. You know, there are times when all the things that we care about, that we feel like we're called to, that we preach about and teach about and talk about and pray about how we're going to have an impact, how we're going to live in the world, that we forget to do that in our own walls, within our own churches. We speak harshly to one another because it's the truth, but we forget that we're called to speak the truth in love. We spread rumors and gossip because it feels good to know something, doesn't it? We slander each other. We stir up conflict and division. So I want to encourage you and challenge you to think about the relationships within your church. I want you to think about the places that you're serving the issues and the trials and the things that you're struggling through as a church, and ask yourself, where am I tempted to let my power fade here? Where am I letting my guard down? When Jesus says, you are the light of the world, that's, that's you, plural, that's y'all, if you're from East Tennessee, okay? Y'all are the light of the world. That's you as a church, and you have an opportunity and a challenge to be like a, like a city on a hill pointing to Jesus, but we lose that if we can't even do that amongst ourselves. The, the second thing is to be mindful of this and the reality of the election season that we're in right now, the political climate that we're in right now. Uh, and I want to say that it's good and right for Christians to care deeply about our political system. And I want to say that it is good and right for Christians to be actively participating in this system. But I want to warn you not to let your political agenda become more important to you than the power that is within you to be salt and light. And I want to remind you that in the midst of a season where our country is seemingly more divided than it has ever been in this way, where there seems to be more animosity and hatred towards the people on the other side, towards those people, towards that candidate, towards those ideas, than it ever has been before, that you have an incredible opportunity to be salt and light in the world. To show people that because I have the power of Jesus in me, that when I disagree with someone, I still listen to them. When I disagree with someone, I don't slander them. I don't spend all my words stirring up animosity and hatred towards someone else. There is so much hatred and animosity. All you gotta do is scroll through Facebook. All you gotta do is read the news. People are saying the nastiest things to one another. To be a Christian, to be salt and light, is to say, I'm not going to stoop to that level, and I'm going to insist on love and charity and kindness and grace. You have that kind of power. I have some good friends who were blessed to adopt a son from Uganda. And if you have been through adoption or know people who are, you may know more about this than I do, but my understanding is that uh, in the first five years, they're required by the Ugandan government to bring their son back to Uganda so that there is, maintains, a, you know, for him, a cultural connection with the, the country he was born in. And so this summer, they planned a trip to take their son back to Uganda. And uh, my friend, I'll, I'll call him John, he works for a company called World Strides. He, he literally professionally plans trips 
abroad for groups. And so he was really excited about this trip, and he planned this, you know, hour-by-hour hour itinerary for their whole five days. And, and his wife said, uh, you know what, John, why don't we kind of throw the itinerary out the window? I just, I just would much rather be more open to what God might use us for when we're there. And this was, this was hard for my friend, but he said, okay, I'll throw it out the window. And they fly into Uganda, and they meet up with this interpreter, this 18-year-old kid who it turns out is a Christian. And they had some contact with their son's birth mother, but not until this summer had they had any contact with his birth father. And so they made this plan to, to meet up uh, with their son's birth father. And, I mean, you can imagine all the different kinds of challenges and emotions and dynamics that are at play in a situation like this. And so they meet him the, the second day they're there, and they're walking around with him, and they're sort of talking to him through this interpreter, but they're mostly listening to the interpreter and their son's biological father talking in, in the language of Uganda. I don't know if it's Ugandan or if it's something else, and they don't know what's going on. Eventually, my friend John asks the interpreter, hey, what are you guys talking about? And he says, oh, I've been sharing the gospel with him. I've been sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with him. The message that God saves sinners through the love of Jesus. And they're kind of taken aback, and they're trying to figure out how do they engage because they don't speak the language. They're working through an interpreter, but they end up developing this relationship. And at the end of their time, the, their son's biological father says, hey, tomorrow can I, can I come and meet your son? And they're not really sure what to do, and this is a very emotional trip. And uh, they end up saying, you know what, I think, I think yeah, why don't, why don't you come tomorrow? And so the next day, for a couple hours, they were... Uh, and on a little kind of outdoor park area, just kicking a soccer ball around. It's my, my friend, his son, an interpreter, and his son's biological father kicking a soccer ball around in Uganda. And the interpreter and the biological father are, st- are still talking, and eventually the interpreter comes over to my friend John and says, hey, I, th- I think he's ready. I think, I think he's ready to believe in Jesus. Would, would you like to lead him? Would you like to pray for him? And so my, my friend with his adopted son next to him, with this 18-year-old stranger and the, the birth father of his son who gave him up for adoption, prayed together. And this man accepted the Lord Jesus as his Savior and began a life of faith in Jesus. I mean, can you imagine hearing the son tell this story 15 years from now? Not because my friend had some kind of incredible talent in sharing the gospel. Not because he had a plan, not because he had a tract. Because he and his wife decided to have the attitude that says, let's just see what the Lord will do. Let's just be ourselves. Because when we are ourselves in Christ, we have the power of salt and light. And you will not be able to help shine the light of love on the people around you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I'm so grateful for this word. I'm so grateful for the reminder of the power that we have, the power to be salt and light, the power to bless the people around us, the power to bear witness to your love for us in Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would put on our hearts the places where we are being tempted to fade, the places where our salt is losing its flavor the places where we are putting a basket over our lamp. Lord, please give us courage. Give us encouragement. Give us the reminder that you are with us. And I pray that others would see our good works and give glory to you, Father.
pray all this in Jesus' name.